Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we began our look at Prosecutor Thomas Binger's direct examination of Ryan Balch, one of the armed individuals who spent time with Kyle Rittenhouse on the night of August 25th, 2020. On today's episode, we continue that coverage. That's all coming up right after the break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor Thomas Binger was questioning Ryan Balch, one of Kyle Rittenhouse's associates, in protecting the car source properties on August 25th, 2020. Balch was asserting that Joseph Rosenbaum was acting belligerently throughout that evening. He also testified that Rosenbaum appeared to be supported in his menacing behavior by two individuals who seemed to fit the descriptions of the persons we have come to know as Joshua and Kelly Zeminski, though it appears that Balch never actually learned their names. Here is a truncated excerpt of that part of Balch's testimony. Every time he was around the groups, when now that I know who Joseph Rosenbaum was and can confirm who he was, he was not organic with the protesters. What do you mean by that? They didn't seem comfortable with his presence or the people that were with him. Who was with him? Uh, He had a male and a female that were with him pretty much consistently throughout the night. So you saw those folks together? Yes. Him and the male and the female. Did you ever see them speaking to one another? Um, The male and the female, yes. But as far as them talking to him directly, no. So you never saw Mr. Rosenbaum talk to that male or female? No. And you never saw the male and female talk to Mr. Rosenbaum? No. But you're, you saw them in proximity to one another, so you're making some sort of assumption that they had some sort of association. Is that fair to say? Um, I saw them in close proximity with each other several times, which led to that assumption. And one of the things that stood out to me was the tall male that was with him had a handgun in his hand with the finger on the trigger pointed down to the ground. You're typically taught not to put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to shoot. The way he was holding it, had anybody bumped into him or him tripped and fell, he would have been sending around off into who knows what. So I just saw it as unsafe. Did you ever see him point that gun at anyone? Um, no. Did you ever see him fire that gun? No. Binger next appears to try to get Balch to distinguish between the nature and purpose of the Glock pistol carried by Joshua Zeminski and the AR-15 carried by the defendant, as Balch happened to be carrying both of those types of weapons on the night of August 25th, 2020. You had a gun that was bigger and more powerful than his. Fair to say? This is fair to say. And you're familiar with AR-15s? That's correct. How long had you owned your AR-15? Since 2012. 
So eight years. Yes. And over that period of time, how many times had you fired your AR-15? By August of 2020, I probably had somewhere close to 10 to 15,000 rounds through it. And what type of ammo what did it take? What caliber? 5.56. Five, and are you familiar with the term full metal jacket? This is correct. And is that the type of ammo you would use? Yes. And as a former infantryman in the Army who's fired 10 to 15,000 rounds, can you tell us a little bit about what full metal jacket bullets are? Full metal jacket bullets are just a solid caliber jacket around a lead core. In the state of Wisconsin, you're not allowed to hunt with full metal jacket ammunition. Do you know why that is? Penetration. Over-penetration. What does that mean? FMJ versus hollow points. Uh, hollow points are designed to hit the target and expand and transfer the energy. A full metal jacket's not designed to do that. So depending on what it hits, it can just sail right on through. So it's fair to say that a full metal jacket round fired from an AR-15 has the potential for hitting whatever it's shot at, say a deer, for example, and going through that and continuing on to something down the line. It can. As opposed to a hollow point, which typically hits a deer, for example, and then stops. Yes. And is it fair to say in your experience that uh, a Glock handgun like you had that night is often loaded with hollow point ammunition and a AR-15 is often loaded with full metal jacket ammunition? Uh, it depends on what you're doing with it. Is that what you they, typically would do? I tend to run full metal jackets, yes. In the, in the AR-15? In the AR-15. What about in your Glock? Hollow points. And why is that? Um, my AR-15, I mostly use it for target and competition shooting. Glock is more for personal defense. Loading a handgun like a Glock with uh, hollow point ammunition is what you would consider to be uh, the better choice for self-defense. Yeah, for concealed carry, absolutely. What about for open carry? For open carry, it would be the same thing for a Glock handgun. When you've fired your AR-15, 10 to 15,000 rounds of full metal jacket ammunition through there, um, what is the furthest distance of target that you've uh, hit with that? 500 yards. So it's a weapon that's capable of shooting a full metal jacket round and hitting a target 500 yards away. Its maximum effective range is 550 yards. This is correct. Next, Binger asks Balch to expand on why he found Rosenbaum to be a menace, though it is never clear why Binger thinks this line of questioning is useful to his case. Now, we were talking about uh, Mr. Rosenbaum and your observations of him, and I think you described something out in the street uh, with some other protesters, or he yelled F you to them, something along those lines. What else did you see him do that night? Every time I encountered Joseph Rosenbaum, he was hyper-aggressive and acting out in a violent manner. And we say violent manner, you, you saw him hitting, punching, kicking he people? Was always having to be restrained by someone. Okay. And I, I understand that. Did you ever see him hit anyone? I, the crowd was pretty good about getting in between him and whoever it was. If he landed a blow, I didn't see it, but he definitely wanted to. Well, now, you have no idea, do you, what was going on in Mr. Rosenbaum's head? No. You'd never met him before that night? No. Okay. So let's just keep to your observations if we can. Right. How tall are you? 
Five nine. How tall was Mr. Rosenbaum? Five four, five three. So, so much shorter and smaller than you. Yes, sir. Uh, now, I know you want to talk about what you believe he was intending to do, but my question to you was, did you ever actually see him hit anyone? No. Did you ever actually see him kick anyone? No. Did you ever actually see him with a weapon in his hand? No. Did you ever actually see him cause any physical injury to anyone that night? I saw him attempt to do it on a couple of occasions, but I never saw him. No, that was not my question, Mr. Balch. Did you ever... Excuse me? I, I, it was my impression he was answering your question. You, you, you'd agree with me? Cross-examination. Pardon me? It's not cross-examination. He's supposed to ask open-ended questions. He was answering. I, I, it was my impression that the witness had not completed his answer. I apologize. I, I'll try to stop uh, uh, jumping in a little too soon, Mr. Balch. Um, did you ever see Mr. Rosenbaum physically injure anyone that night? No. Did you personally have any interactions with Mr. Rosenbaum? I got between him and Colette at one point, and then he threatened me and the defendant. The time you described where you got in between Mr. Rosenbaum and Dustin Kleck, was the defendant present for that? Uh, it immediately preceded him threatening me and Kyle Rittenhouse. So was the defendant present for that? Yes. Tell us about that. Colette had stopped him from starting something on fire. There's a video of it. And Dustin Colette said something to the effect of fuck around and find out. And I stepped in and told everybody, chill out, calm down, stop doing that. I turned and had an exchange with one of the protesters. And I kind of explained to that protester, hey, you know, I get what you're trying to do, but like not this. And when I turned around, Rosenbaum was right there in front of my face, yelling and screaming. And I said, dude, back up, just chill. I don't know what your problem is. And he goes, you know what? If I catch any of you guys alone tonight, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And he said that to you? Correct. Did he say that to the defendant as well? The defendant was there, so yes. And as far as you could tell, the defendant was close enough to hear what Mr. Rosenbaum said. That is correct. Now, when this conversation occurred, were you wearing your AR-15 slung in front of your body? That is correct. Did Mr. Rosenbaum ever reach for it? He didn't try. Did he touch it? No. You had your Glock pistol on your hip, correct? That is correct. Did he ever reach for that? No. Did he ever touch that? No. Did he ever touch you? No. And at that po point, could you see that Mr. Rosenbaum had no weapons of any kind. He had a bag full of what looked to be chemicals to me in his hand, the guy with the Glock with a handgun behind him, and a female with a backpack. That was what yeah. I considered Rosenbaum having with him. Okay, so a couple things. First of all, uh, this bag, this plastic bag. Yes. Was it something that you could see inside? It was a clear hospital type bag. It had containers, but I couldn't really tell what the containers were. I made the assumption at the time and told the FBI the same thing, that I thought it was for making Molotov cocktails. And was that actually true? Um, I saw this a similar bag later in the night that didn't contain those chemicals. Did not? Did not. When you say you saw a similar bag in the night, what you mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, is after the defendant 
shot Mr. Rosenbaum. In that incident, Mr. Rosenbaum throws that same bag at the defendant, and it is left lying on the ground of the 63rd Street car source. You're aware of that from all the videos, correct? Yes. Did you go to that 63rd Street car source after the defendant killed Joseph Rosenbaum? Yes. Did you see that plastic bag laying on the ground? Yes. Did you see anything in that bag that uh, you would construe as harmful or dangerous? No. Again, while he does get Balch to acknowledge that there were no dangerous chemicals in Rosenbaum's bag, he also allows the witness to make a fairly compelling case that Rosenbaum was an agitator and an escalator of violence, unlike most of the other protesters who wanted to disassociate themselves from Rosenbaum's behavior. We will be sure to revisit this line of questioning in our weekly recap episode. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Prosecutor Binger next returns to questioning Ryan Balch about the interactions with the individual with the handgun, who we would later learn was Joshua Zeminski. So getting back to this incident where the defendant is, or that Mr. Rosenbaum is talking to you and the defendant, you mentioned that there's two people, a male and a female, that are close by. Uh, as we sit here today, do you now know who those folks were? Um, no, I don't. Did those, that male and female that you're talking about, did they say anything to you? No, the male always just had kind of a a grin on his face the whole time. Um, like he was kind of enjoying all the violence and shenanigans as was going on. Other than that, did he say anything to you? No. Did he say anything to the defendant? I never saw him speak to the defendant. Did you see the female speak to you at any point? No. Did you see her speak to the defendant? No. Did either one of them do anything threatening towards you? No. Did either one do anything threatening towards the defendant? No. Binger then asks Balch about the interview that was conducted, primarily with Rittenhouse, by Kristen T. Harris of the Milwaukee-based independent radio program called The Rundown Live. Do you recall speaking with a uh, individual who was uh, taking video for a, a online source called the rundown live i remember him coming into the car source area but we didn't it wasn't so much as a formal interview as he was just standing around talking to us do you remember uh, him speaking to you and the defendant uh when that dumpster fire occurred out in front of your location yes do you remember him speaking about staying on your property as opposed to going out in the street? Yes. That's something you heard? Yes. What did you think about that? Um, we had protesters coming on to car sores. Um, by this point, we we're already going out and like people were getting knocked down in the street. We were already going out in the street and dragging them out of the street, making sure they were okay. 
seem to want to keep us out of the street as much as possible. But by that point, there really was no declination between what was car source and what was the street. Well, you knew where the property line was. Yes. Um, but I'm, I understand you wanting to maybe go out and help people and things like that. But did you interpret that message or did you think to yourself, we can stay here and protect this property, but it's not our job to go out there and police the neighborhood. Did that, that thought ever occur to you? Not really, no. Okay, so you felt like you were free to go out and confront people that you felt were doing things wrong? No. Help me understand that then. Um, it wasn't so much as a, I'm going to go out there and confront people because I can. It was if somebody from the crowd asked us to go help them, we would. Okay. So if you're, in, if you're invited. Right. But you're, you weren't going to just rush into a situation when you're uninvited and try and... Interfere. That's correct. Binger appears to have little success in getting any testimony from this witness that would support the narrative that there was anything reckless in what he and Rittenhouse and the other armed protectors of the car source property were doing. The prosecutor next, bewilderingly, pivots back again to ask the witness about his interactions with Joseph Rosenbaum. You've mentioned you had an interaction with Mr. Rosenbaum. Yes. Was that at the 59th Street location? Yes. After that, did you have any other interactions with him that night? Um, we encountered him hit and miss throughout the night, but he never like approached us again that I saw, and he tried to engage us. But you saw him around? Yes. Okay. Um, what were your impressions of him when you saw him on those other times? No, he was in the middle of them trying to light things on fire, smashing anything he could. Um, in general, he was just being aggressive to the other guys down at the Ultimate. Uh, the protesters were getting pretty upset with him being around. Um, they were very quick to let us know throughout the night, hey, that guy's not with us, that guy's not with us. Don't be mad at us. And, like, hey, we get it. We already dealt with him before, and that was just the general vibe from him throughout the night. So you mentioned that you saw him starting things on fire. When did you see that? Um, a couple more dumpsters. Um, they tried to light a road sign on fire that he was a part of that. That particular night, and I, I know it's hard to pretend you haven't seen any other videos in the last year, but I'm trying to focus in on what you actually remember that night, what you saw that night. Do you remember seeing Mr. Rosenbaum uh, actually start any of those dumpsters on fire? No. Do you remember actually seeing him start that street sign on fire? Yes. Other than that, did you see Mr. Rosenbaum try and start any other fires? Not after that, no. You said, I think you said he was trying to smash things? Yes. What did you see? Uh, he was throwing rocks into the car source area. He was throwing rocks at buildings along the street. Oh, he's having a pretty good time. We will explore Prosecutor Binger's reasons for this line of questioning during our recap at the end of the week, and we will continue our exploration of Ryan Balch's testimony on our next episode. But that concludes this installment of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.